This is Ross Coulthard, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and thanks for checking out the first part of this show earlier in January where I was joined by a panel to look at the year that was 2023. Joining me again for a look ahead to 2024 is the same panel because I'm creative like that. Uh, Welcome back to Dan, Graham and Nathan. Thank you all for joining me. Do you want to say all all say hello exactly at the same time? Which makes for good audio. Hello. Hello. Uh, so yes um thank you gents for joining us 2024 if you didn't know was underway already unless you're listening to this in the future then did we avert a nuclear holocaust hopefully um it's already been eventful as we've had a dod report on ufos diana pasilka making waves on joe rogan sean kirkpatrick's departing op-ed from arrow members of congress continuing to push for hearings strong rumors of the james webb telescope going to announce finding signs of life and a whole lot more so let's begin with your thoughts uh, on the start of the year no let's begin with the thoughts guys on the start to the year before what the fuck if i wrote i'm going to leave that in so let's begin with your thoughts on the start to the year before we leave oh yeah sorry that does make sense that's not an edit by the way folks this is literally me talking to myself (laughs) as people look at me nodding so we're going to look at uh, your thoughts guys on what has happened already because we're recording this at the start of february and january's already been pretty packed i'm going to come to nathan first nathan uh welcome back mate um, yeah, 2024. How's it kicked off for you in terms of UFOs? Well, for me personally, it's been a little bit of a slower uh, UFO time. And that's not because there's not a lot going on. As you talked about, there's quite a lot going on. Just that this is the time of the year for me in my personal life. It's very, very busy at work. So I have a lot to do in my uh, non-UFO uh, life. And it keeps me away from all the news and, and keeping me up with everything. But it, uh, even all that said, I still feel as if we're in a bit of a a bit of a dip, I would say, in kind of the the enthusiastic UFO news. There's there's been uh, the Kirkpatrick article, which I think you know certainly deserves some criticism, but has you know let some air out of the tires to some degree. Uh, and uh, the DODIG report, which I think was spot on. In fact, it pointing out that they weren't doing what they should be doing, and and I, you know covering the, these kinds of objects, but really we're not getting a lot of new hard evidence. And I think that that's the, the phase of this process that we're all looking to see uh, come to fruition is some some further evidence substantiating the claims that have been brought forward by whistleblowers like David Grush and others. Awesome. Graham, what about yourself? 2024 kicked off with a bang slash lull, depending on where you sit. Yeah, I guess I'm in the same boat as Nathan in so much as I've been busy finishing a book off. Um, So I haven't had as much time to devote to what's been happening in actually what, yeah, you're right, it has been a very, very busy month. Um, So I I, I could have, I wish I'd had more time to look at things. But even so, yeah, my Twitter feed's been full of of news every day. Um, And the fallout from uh, Kirkpatrick, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Fitzpatrick going, um, Kirkpatrick, Fitzpatrick. I, for some reason, I get these names confused. It's a Patrick anyway, um, in, and he's left, and now he's uh, you know he's he's basically thrown his teddy in the corner, and now it, it pops up a day that he's an unpaid consultant to Arrow as well. So it's a story that just keeps on giving, um, and I'm sure that it's going to be hopefully each month is going to be the same. I think that's you know what I hope for this year. Awesome, and Dan, finally come to yourself. Uh, I'll keep this one concise because I had a 20-minute rant in the last episode, so I used my time there. So, uh, yeah, so 
2024 so far has been pretty busy. We're getting a lot of James Webb rumors. We're getting a lot of UAP rumors about first-hand whistleblowers coming forward in the year. And once again, we find ourselves in a position where stuff is happening, legislation's moving, hearings are being rumored, everything like that. But we're, we're very much kind of at the top of the hill, ready to watch the snowball kind of roll down. Um, and snowballs do roll down. You know, we don't have to worry about that. So it's just a case of kind of strapping in for the year ahead and seeing where this takes us. Absolutely. Um, Nathan, on a point you just made there about feeling we're in a lull or a lull, it's a hard word to say, um, a quiet period in the UFO chat, but it's not, but you're saying it is, and I think others see it the same way as well. Is that a case? And just very quickly get all your thoughts, Nathan, start first. Are we being, or are people being greedy with what they expect to come from UFO news now because we're getting so much? I was about to say, we've been really spoiled. Uh, Let's be clear, I think we've had a lot of amazing news that has happened over the last six to 12 months, and we've now become acclimated to bombastic claims and and new videos and all this kind of content that just really floods the, the, the airwaves, so to speak, every week. And when that doesn't happen, when things are a little bit slower, when there's not a, a new amazing claim that we can analyze, it definitely feels as if we're you know, in, a, in a lull. I don't think we're stepping back at all. I just think it's a little bit quieter. And that's to some degree to be expected at the beginning of the year. I wouldn't necessarily expect things to be, you know, kind of exploding uh, because people are coming back from holiday and, you know, get, getting back in the groove of work, et cetera, et cetera. The government is often kind of a little bit shut down uh, to some degree as well. And so we're just kind of in this period where things are, are not quite as fast as they used to be. But we we have a lot to be thankful for and hopeful for. And, you know, the things that Dan, Dan and Graham both mentioned, I think, are things that we can be very excited about. Uh, I also would say that it's very just common now to talk about UFOs. It's not uh, something that we, I think, have to talk about in, in the in the shadier parts of the of the bar or whatever. We can talk about it in the open. Everyone is talking about it. People are very curious about the subject. Uh, it's it's on the mainstream media now. Maybe not as much as we'd like, but it's it's definitely getting its time and its air more than it used to. And I think that's a, an important part of the phase, if you will, of of acclimating the public to this idea. I think everyone's been a bit selfish. We literally got a video of a dead alien body in Brazil just weeks ago. Um, and you're all shitting all over this already. So I think that's disappointing. <laughs> um, to be fair, Ronnie Vernet was very good at putting that out and then saying immediately with the video, I believe this to be a hoax. But, you know, I think I'd like to see him put that out regardless. Otherwise, it just starts a lot of chatter and stuff. Um, but yeah, it, it was very much a fake for anyone who's listening going, oh, what was the video? It's not. But there were people that didn't believe him, right? I remember that. And I was just like, is this not everything in UFO right here? (laughs) And it says it all, doesn't it? No matter what goes out, there are always going to be folks who believe it, don't believe it, who think it's something other. And that's just the world we live in now. Um, And speaking of the world we live in, Dan, last year, a beautiful baby boy was born by the name David Grush. Um, born in the sense he was born into the UFO topicing community onto all of our screens around the world. Um, I said at the time, Dan, you'll remember that his impact and legacy would be in what happens in the follow-up, not at the time, but the follow-up. Um, I feel we're still waiting on that to fully happen potentially. So let's work backwards. We'll go with Dan first on this. Um, Grush in 2024, what's going to be happening or not happening, do you think, with David Grush? 
so the immediate thing we have with David Grush is that we've been told he'll be releasing an op-ed. We don't know what's going to be in there. There's been a few hints. Uh, he held an event in New York where he revealed some things about kind of biologics, about some craft that we kind of have held in hangars and, you know, the legacy program Secret Keepers are keeping from us. But it remains to be seen what's in that op-ed. Just after that came out, we had Kirkpatrick's op-ed, and it really feels like the the articles in the media at the moment are trying to kind of essentially get people to just tap out of the conversation and just get bored of it and kind of go, there's nothing to see here. So that when Grush does come out with more stuff or more whistleblowers come out, it's kind of downplayed. I would also expect, as well as that op-ed, to see Grush more active in terms of connecting with the community. So I would expect that probably in the back half of the year, we'll see him, you know, maybe even talking to you, Andy, that'd be amazing. Um, but as well as that, we'll see him kind of popping up in other places. And hopefully, especially the field hearing that's been specified uh, by Representative Luna and Birchett and all those uh, great reps in the in the UAP caucus, they've said they're going to be taking all of this information to the steps. They're going to be doing a field hearing, which I assume is, you know, outside a official building as opposed to just at one of their houses at like a barbecue or something but we will get more information there because they don't have to kind of adhere to those red lines and you know the bureaucratic tape that they would have to in a hearing setting it does make me wonder you know if someone does come forward and say hey i'm a first-hand whistleblower and i've had hands-on with this material i've seen the bodies i've got the photos that looks different when it's presented inside you know, the House of, uh, inside the Senate or the House of Representatives versus on the steps of some building, right? And it's going to be interesting, again, seeing how that goes forward, how it's played about with by the media, how people digest it, because it just, it feels like we're lobsters in a boiling pot right now. You know, the inevitable conclusion kind of feels there and we're just kind of getting boiling. Let me stay with Dan on this one. Now, I think what you're getting as part of that is that optics for that kind of scenario would be very important, how that looks, because it's one yeah. thing being inside an official building, but it's another presenting the same thing outside where you have a lot of factors that's much harder to control. And for me, it would be very easy to make that look ridiculous by having someone running about in the background with a tinfoil hat or even, and I'm not even joking when I say this, being flippant, someone with one of those fake, you know, Halloween alien costumes people wear and it looks like they're being abducted. You just yes. send someone to totally discredit something really serious to run about in the background. And that's it. People look at that and laugh. They forget the message. They forget who's talking. They don't care about what's being said and to who. That's what they remember. It's a funny alien thing happening. So I'm very wary of anything happening outside, and I'd much rather they get it in an official setting. Yeah, exactly the same. And and the what you just said reminds me of Five Simonton and the Phoenix Lights when they had yeah. someone come on stage in an alien costume, and it 100%. kind of discredited that event for people to this day. You know, even though he came out and said, "No, I saw them," and that was maybe a stress reaction and I was anxious and I wanted to calm everyone down and make them laugh as well as that. We, you know, we had that storm area 51 event that could have been a proper protest, but instead you had people running around in costumes and doing Naruto runs in the background of news reports and really making it easy to discredit the subject. So yeah, absolutely. We, we need to keep it in a professional setting. We need the people presenting it to remain professional and we do not need a repeat of the Nazca mummies and the, the, not to say whether they're real or not, but just to say the optics on that were awful. It was really badly presented and it, it kind of kneecapped them in presenting their case. 
Yeah. Uh, moving on to someone who hates the notion of aliens and extraterrestrials, Graham, I'm going to get your thoughts on this now. Um, David Grush, huge name in the subject in 2024. Where do you sit? What do you expect to see from him? Um, imagining that you are thinking we're going to be seeing and hearing from him. Well, I hope we're going to see or hear some more kind of detail, but I'm sort of trying to work out how far you can go you know, in, in releasing information like that. He's obviously bound by the same kind of restrictions that Lou Elizondo is um, in, in being able to tell people what he's seen, what he's heard, and, and come up with documentation. So <laughs> I watched the Jesse Michaels um uh, interview that he, uh, that he did with him uh, and that long form it must have been about two hours i watched that this morning funnily enough and it was uh david grush at home almost it was uh it was quite a quite a light-hearted it's and a kind of seeing him behind the scenes look at david uh, because he was obviously a friend he must have been a friend of his for like what the last two years or something so they were picturing him going into the hearings uh behind the scenes a bit as well and then meeting up walking in the hills of colorado and all the rest of it so you saw a different side to him uh which hopefully might see a bit more of and I guess it I suppose it gives you a bit of an insight it doesn't necessarily give you more knowledge uh, about what he's talking about but it gives you a bit of a, more of an insight into the man himself uh, and that's useful as well because he's, you can use that alongside what he's saying to get a, an idea of how much you know how much you, you sort of stand by uh, or you believe in what he's saying um I just I, I still Watching all that video I didn't really think there was actually more came out than what he said in the hearing to be honest. Um, I was pointed towards it because somebody said that he'd mentioned stuff about uh, Operation Paperclip. So I thought, well, I'll watch it for that. But he didn't really say anything about that at all. Um, but I just got the feeling that, yeah, th- there is more than he obviously that he knows, but it, it just, I, I'm not entirely sure he's going to be able to come out with it in any useful form for us, the, the general public. Yes, in a skiff, um, but. You know, we're not going to hear about that. So we're going to, we're still going to be frustrated, I think, in so much as we're going to get these little drip, drip, drip bits of information, little sound bites, little teasers, you know, hints of things. But he can't come clean and say, this is exactly what I saw. This is exactly what I was told. This is the document I saw, which tells me X, Y, Z. Um, and I think that's really frustrating. So this is um, where I agree with what Nathan was saying about a, a lull in so much as, you know, we get these bits of information and it, it's great. You know, it all we always think it's going to lead to something. But actually, at the end of the day, how much does it actually lead to? Because we had those hearings and that was a real boost. It was a real fillip for everybody concerned with ufology. But the next thing we know, you know, oh, we can't get into a skiff, and then they can get into a skiff, but then you can't release the information we heard. You get these kind of nods and, and you know, winks afterwards from the representatives when they're coming out saying, um, you know, oh, yeah, I've heard some really, really amazing things and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And you, you, you sort of have to try and read between the lines, but you don't actually get that definite information that says, yes, that's true, no, that's not true, or whatever is in between. So I think we're going to be in for more frustration along those lines. And going back to your... your, your stuff about videos and the mummies every time we get something like this whether it's the jellyfish it's never cut and dried there's always you know this this huge amount of well we're not sure you can't get a consensus across the borders to say that's anomalous or because there's always going to be a huge section of people come up and say that's just you know a whole load of Eid balloons, or it's definitely an alien spacecraft. Um, you know, there's just never any consensus to say you know that's nothing, that's something, or that's something we should be looking at. It always just seems to be people just arguing over little details or the whole thing, and it very rarely gets us anywhere. 
So sorry to be a bit of a Debbie Downer there. Do you mind no, if I no. jump in with a question for Graham there? So I just wanted to ask Graham, I, I know that there's been a lot of conversation from Grush about the 1933 mm. uh, Mussolini, you, you know, UFO yeah. crash. And I know there's a bit of history there and a bit of forged documents. So I just wondered if you would mind talking about that a little bit. Well, I mean, I, got, I, I don't know if they're forged documents. That's the only thing. They just they haven't been independently, um, you know, sort of looked at as far as I'm aware. They have been looked by by experts, but, you know, who those experts are and their accreditation, I don't know. And the only thing, the stuff that's coming out regarding that reminds me, and if you've ever read Hunt for Zero Point, Nick Cook talks about something that it was that these guys told him called The Legend, and it was this story about you know, that kind of thing and the German salsas and all the rest of it. And I just wonder how much of this comes from something like that, where these are stories which are passed down from intelligence operative to intelligence operative. You know, all the people behind the scenes have this kind of story, this narrative, and it might be backed up by certain documents, but the rest of it might just be people spitballing, you know, filling in between you know in between the lines and the stuff that you see in ufology about you know when people say oh it's known that such and such x y and z and it's not actually because that's never been proved but it becomes fact if you tell the same story enough time it becomes fact and i just wonder whether some of the stuff that he has been privy to is stuff like this that people are telling him you know maybe with all sincerity saying look i've heard about this or you know i've seen a document about this uh, but it turns out maybe not to be quite the truth it's just these kind of rumors and myths which get perpetuated. And there's actually, when you look back at them, there's actually nothing there. Or they're exaggeration or embellishments of something that happened in the past. Um, people say, well, you know, the CIA looked at it, and, you know, and maybe somebody might say, well, there's a CIA document on this. And it might just turn out to be in the end, like so many others, that the translations of foreign newspapers. But people then cite that as evidence that the CIA looked into German flying sources. Well, it's not. And I would just hope. I really hope that some of this evidence turns out not to be that kind of stuff because I'll be really disappointed if it is. Thank you, Graham. And yeah, I got, I got that. I mean, that's not a sorry. That's not a criticism sorry. of David Grush by any means, you know, because I don't know what he's privy to, and that's obviously the you know the sticking point in this whole thing. We're not sure what that information is. Yeah, absolutely. The, I refer to that as the UFO Ouroboros, that sometimes the the legend feeds the facts and it round and round it goes, you know? Yeah. And I wouldn't be massively surprised, Graham, if that is the case, that when, and I, I'm coming at this from a pure layman's point of view, like, but b- below layman, that if I'm a guy in that position and I've got all these files getting put in front of me, people make up those files and the people who made up those files had parts of those files made up for them. So no doubt within the research of a UFO, you know, crashes in Brazil from 1960 to 1970, a whole lot of research goes into it, but how much confirmation or data, or is it a case of, we've got radar stuff on this and the public don't know about it, but we've also got some of these things that were in news clippings and et cetera, and they all just get put together. So it does get lumped in and that's not to say there aren't a lot of genuine oh yes you know incidents and evidence within there but totally believe that there are elements of just lack of research or poor research being done as part of it and it just gets passed up the chain not maliciously either no, that's we saw right. that with Bass happen. Um, you know, they literally said, we, "This was the data we had to work with because no one else reports the data, so we have to pull it from the skeptical inquirer and all these places that 
people think of as not very reputable, but that's the data they have to work with. But yeah, yeah, it's it's exactly that. They'll take that, they'll transform it into a respectable story instead of having that newspaper name on it. And then away it goes as a myth building over time until people talk about it like we talk about Roswell, you know? Um, We we always talk about that headline that happened just after the, you know, the day after the saucer crash um, or the purported saucer crash. And that that didn't make Roswell the story we know it today. That didn't happen until the 60s and 70s. And I don't think people really realize that, you know. Nathan, are we going to be going on a slow this year or is it going to be a bit of a grush? Is that what you're saying? Grush hour. Um, Grush hour two, grush hour three. Grush hour aggressioning. Uh, I think the murkiness of the past of this topic is really, we're seeing the the downstream effect of the murkiness of, of the UFO history uh, for all the things that everybody just talked about. And that makes the threshold for clarity really high right now to kind of pierce through that, that fog. And what I'm hoping is that, you know, David Grush seems like a person who brought receipts with him when he Went to the ICIG, he brought Mm. 40 people, is a lot of people. To have 40 people corroborate the same story, that's incredibly difficult to do. So, you know, it'd be easy to say, hey, let me get a couple of people to come in and we're just going to all be on the same page and and convince this general counsel or whatever that this is is a fact. But to have 40 people across what I would assume to be various different agencies, departments, experiences, all these kinds of things. So if those claims are in fact true and the evidence has been presented as he has said, then I think it's only going to be a matter of time before those claims come to light and and have that sort of uh, the veracity that we all want right now. And I think if you think about what David Grush is maybe thinking, and I, I just sort of imagine him reading this op-ed from Sean Kirkpatrick in Scientific American and him like secretly kind of seething because he's he really wants to punch back, but he probably can't. Although I will say I wouldn't be surprised if in his piece that we are all anticipating, he puts in some line by line kinds of rebuttals to what Kirkpatrick has stated. And and that will be really interesting because then we have two uh, figureheads, so to speak, with, with competing claims. How do we evaluate the, the, the truthfulness of both of the, those claims? We can't do that unless we have other parties who are mm-hmm. ultimately part of that conversation to, to back up one or the other. And so I think all of us, it, it, coming back to what I started with, this this does speak to the maturity of, of the subject itself, where we are with it. It's now something that we have to treat very seriously. The, the threshold, the standard of evidence has gotten a lot higher than it used to be. And that that's why, for me personally, and I think, I think a lot of you share this opinion, when you see something like the jellyfish UAP, you just kind of like, well, that's interesting, but I need something more. We have to keep moving beyond a, a grainy FLIR video and somebody from a base somewhere said that they had this and then they lost it. And like that's not going to work anymore. And I think we need something that we can really sink our teeth into. Clearly, the UAP caucus is uh, interested in, in getting that kind of information. And they have publicly stated that they're having a difficult time getting some straight answers. And for me, at least, I, I, this is my opinion, that should be evidence to say there is something to this. If they can't mm-hmm. cut through it, there's something to it that we need to understand. And, and the question I have is, will we? Will we actually get this kind of information at some point? Or will it be really kind of continue to be secreted away by people in uh, smaller groups that have decided maybe it's not the right time to let the, the general public know about this? It's about time. We need think- an, an, sorry, there's just we need another Nimitz uh, encounters this mm-hmm. year. 20 years after the first one. 
apparently they happen daily we're just not seeing the information but if that's getting locked down tighter and is this not the issue though that you make the point nathan and to what graham said there as well you've got if david grush is the face of disclosure capital d disclosure and sean kirkpatrick is the new face of obfuscation and keeping this secret not to say that is the case but i think on the face of it it is then you've got people who are going to come out and back up both and you're saying we need that, you know, so you're going to get the folks coming out and saying, Kirkpatrick's right, look at the evidence or lack thereof. He tried to do his job. He didn't find anything. What more do you want? But then you've got the folks that are going to back up Grush. But like you say, there's still this, like Graham would say, there's still this lack of real grade A evidence that he can't get out. You talk about receipts and we're, no doubt there's a lot behind classified, you know, closed doors, but we're not going to get that. And that's just the nature of the topic. Um, and you're always going to find people falling into either camp. I, I just done the listener calling that went out today, uh, and one of the guys I spoke to last night, Dave, um, someone Dan ignored in New York. Um, <laughs> yeah, if people listen to it, they'll hear. Um, hearty hello, Dave. I remember yeah. you. <laughs> it, do you know what? He's lovely, and but his point on it was he's relatively new to the subject, two to three years, really invested, and he's struggling to what direction to take. And he was asking me what I would recommend, and I said actually, what I recommend doesn't matter because it's going to be my own bias i said to him go and watch interviews with lou elizondo ross coulter james fox but go and watch some stephen greer documentaries go and watch some linda moulton howe videos and make up your own mind you know it's not for me to say that you won't find the billy carson black knight satellite stuff absolutely fascinating but that's for you to kind of forge a little <laughs> everyone take a shot <laughs> yeah um it's and but that again there's loads of folk listening to this who are into that kind of stuff and i'll touch on it eventually it, but it's just where you want to go with it and i just gave him the advice of keeping your keeping your opinion fluid and your you know your options open because i asked him to name three or four people that he felt as as being new to the subject where you know that a listers for him that he really found credible i think he said leslie kane avi loeb james fox and it was something like that and I said to him, what if you found out tomorrow that every one of those were involved in a PSYOP to cover up the UFO secret and actually they were just selling BS for years? And he was like, oh, well, would it put you off? And he went, no. I went, exactly. And that's the way you should be. It shouldn't, it might be a setback, but it shouldn't stop you, you know, investigating or believing the subject or looking at it through a different lens. So I think we're always going to be stuck with that good guys versus bad guys, but who's on whose side of the argument? Um I'm going to just transition into the next stage because it still stays on a similar path to what we've we've been talking about. Um, and that was, so next one is 2024, more public hearings. So in July, David Grush, Graves, Fravor shared their stories in front of the world's watching media and it very much did seem to be a worldwide media, albeit a very short time. We discussed that before. Um, in 2024, are we going to get similar hearings? And we touched on this, I know, just before, Dan, you were mentioning, but I'd love to know, Graham, starting with you, with who might we see speaking at a new set of hearings or who would you like to see? And I think that's an interesting one coming from someone. Is it fair to say you're, you're pretty sceptical? You're open-minded, but you need a certain level of, of evidence that would suit your... I mean, part of me, the, part of me, and I suppose it's the kind of part of me that was my teenage self when I was really excited to learn new stuff about this. And I was, I was a bit more naive, I guess, a bit, a bit less well-rounded. Um, so that side of me is always after new information, new, new revelations, 
whether I think they're right or wrong or, or somewhere in between. But yes, I do have a bit that has a, a fairly high bar for evidence. Um, as far as who I think is going to join, well, I don't know, you know who's um, sort of prepared to come out of the woodwork because we don't know, you know if there are any new whistleblowers who might take up the David Grush kind of mantle. Um, people who I think maybe should take the stand are, are people like Robert Salas. Um, you know, I think he would be a great person to come up and, and talk about the you know about the nukes getting taken offline. Um, one I've talked about on Twitter before is Bob Lazar, but I can't see it happening. I know he's been a bit kind of all over the place as to whether he wants he wants to have anything to do with them or not. And the last thing I don't think I, so. Yeah, oh, and I don't think so either. Um, it's not necessarily that I, I, I'm I'm, st- I'm all over the place with with Lazar as to whether I believe him or not. Every time I hear something new, it, it just sends me in a different direction. So I've got the point now where I just simply don't know, and I'm, it's not that I don't care; it's that I'm I'm just a bit kind of oh, you know, a bit t- weary of it now. I think as well. Um, so you know, that would be great if he did. If he did, like, because he's been on Rogan, so why doesn't he come on this? Um, I guess that's the question that people might ask: well, What have he? Why wouldn't you do it? Uh, you know, what have you got to hide? Why aren't you prepared to put your what your money where your mouth is? Um, but I'm sure he has his own reasons if he doesn't want to do it. But yeah, he'd be great as well. But I'm not sure it would just turn into a circus if he was there as well. Um, or certainly leading up to it, I think that you know that maybe the press and the skeptics and all the rest of it would have a field day, uh, and then I'm not even sure what the fallout would be afterwards. But people like uh, Robert Salas, um, you know, in terms of being a missileer. Um, and, and talking about um, sort of UFOs and nukes, I think that would be a great, you know, he'd be a great person to have as the kind of historical side. And then to have hopefully a new whistleblower to come out and give a revelation, you know, whoever that might be. Um, and then maybe, you know, to try and find some other, um, you know, sort of Air Force or Navy veteran who's prepared to come up um, and, and talk about their own sightings as well. So you have, you know, past, present and, fu- and, and future kind of thing. So, yeah, um, but I can't, I'm, obviously we don't know of anybody, but then again, last July, David Grush pops out of the woodwork, you know, he, as you say, he's, you know, born to the world. And next thing we know, we're standing in front of congressmen and women, you know, telling him about biologics and all the rest and blowing their socks off. So hopefully we'll have somebody like that in, in the wings waiting to, to, to do it. Because we can't expect somebody like David Grosh and Lou Elizondo to do everything by themselves. We need more people. We need a cohort of these people to come forward with not just the same story, but different stories that might interlink, but may not as well. Um, and it, it just and you know the more that they're more diverse, then the more likely that people take notice because it's a more widespread thing than people may have realised. And certainly that'll make the congressmen and women sort of you know it might grab their attention more than just the same story being told time after time after again. It might you know take them in other directions, which they might have a bit more sort of success with. You sort of answered my question. I was going to ask, Dan, I'm going to come to you next. And if you can start by answering my question too, that would be great. Sure. Um, Nathan, keep this in mind. Graham, answer me this one, but you've kind of done it there. So would you think it's better if we get a conveyor belt of Grushies slash new whistleblowers coming forward this year rather than the continuation of David Grush coming out with a bit more, a bit more, a bit more? Do you think there's more more value to, to more names and faces? I mean, I'm not sure how much he can, how much more he can tell. So that that I can't really answer that with any conviction without knowing that bit. But if it was just a, a straightforward, 
should we have more David Grosh or should we have more new people? I would rather go with the new people because that would at least affirm that they are new people to be to come forward. Um, otherwise, you know, what, why are they there? What you know, why aren't they coming forward? Uh, I would rather see new faces and not just uh, intelligence personnel. You know, maybe people from special access programs. Uh, you know, whatever but new names, because it just widens the kind of field. And we're not relying on the same people who, let's face it, you know, are, stand, are, are there to be shot at by you know, debunkers, skeptics, New York Post, um, you, know, you name it. Um, they, they can't carry this load just on their own shoulders. There need to be more people doing it. Dan, uh, so same question, yeah? So I think we kind of need a, a middle ground between those two things. You know, when when Grush was in the hearings, we, we've spoken quite a bit about how what Grush said almost felt like a different kind of subject to what uh, Ryan Graves and Dave Fravor were talking about. Like they were very different in terms of what they were presenting, you know, the evidence that two, two were experiences and one was this is the legacy program and this is what I found. So I think those things can complement each other with a bit more structure. So for me, we kind of need this kind of legacy plus hearings you know the people that we know had a hand in this of yesteryear but also new people so when i say new people we're talking first-hand whistleblowers people that worked on the ufo materials the exotic materials and have been working in this program over the years but the question is how many of those know what they worked on if they were just given a bit of material and told hey work on this and tell us what the molecular structure of this is and and you know if it can carry electricity they never told it's a UFO thing. So how would they even know to come forward and present that, you know? So we need as many of those as we can get with their stories. We need non-government employees because we've heard from government employees. So, you know, we're talking about uh, Lockheed and supposedly want to get rid of this material that they were given way back when. Where are those whistleblowers? Let's hear them complaining in the media saying, I've got this thing that I want to give you and I, I'm not allowed to. My hands are tied by the CIA or DIA or whoever it is they, they say is doing that. Present that story. We've heard two particular names in the past year that we haven't heard a lot more from and they came along with Grush and that was Carl Nell, who spoke at Saul. He's a re- retired uh, Colonel, Carl Nell. And we should be seeing in the next few weeks, Gary Nolan, let everybody know that those Saul videos are almost done. So we should see those presentations soon. So we should be able to kind of start getting a bit more of an idea of who Carl Nell is and what he has to bring to the table. Carl Nell, for, for what it's worth, is the guy that brought that catastrophic disclosure discussion to the table that everyone's interpreted in their own ways. Personally, I'm just excited to get that definition from his mouth instead of just all this guesswork, you know. Um, but we also had Jonathan Gray mentioned as someone that backed Grush. Jonathan Gray, we don't know who he is. Apparently, there's no one that works in that organization called that, so it seems to be a pseudonym. Um, A lot of I don't know around there. But Jonathan Gray backed Grush 100%, and so that's another person that we can hear from. Another legacy person I'd love to hear from, because a lot's changed since he said what he had to say in terms of whistleblower protections, and especially if we could get him to testify on the stand and i know that he would but lou elizondo way back when he said i've left the dod i've left my career because they're not taking this issue seriously and it's a safety issue it's a national security issue lo and behold you know lou is kind of quiet in the community but now we're in 2024 the ig 
the Inspector General released their report into the DOD's handling and found that exactly what Liu accused them of is true, that they don't have a robust way of dealing with UAP. They're not issuing guidance. They're pretty much trying to ignore it. So let's get Liu back on the stand and have him talk about it now that we have an independent committee that has said, yeah, no, what he said is correct. We're not saying there's aliens. We're not saying that, you know, what it is, but we're saying that this is a national security issue that they're not taking seriously. I think people like Representative Ogles and, and AOC would hook onto something like that, you know, take, take away the stuff that causes the stigma, like the talk about Little Green Man, and just talk about national security and spending money properly and protecting your citizens and servicemen. I think that's something that everyone can get around. Lazar, totally agree, Graham, that it will be a circus. And the question is, imagine the hearings we had, but with Lazar in that lineup. So we would have David Fravor, the guy who encountered the Tic Tac and played with it, chased it. We have David Grush, the guy who supposedly talked to 40-odd whistleblowers, was taught this program is real. And we'd have Ryan Graves, whose you know, squad mates encountered these things and went on UAP hunting missions. And then we have someone that ran a brothel and has changed his story 50 times over the last 40 years. And it, it really kind of pulls the rug from under the other three, I think, to have Lazar there. And so, you know, I'm personally quite happy that Lazar isn't being included in this conversation. He'll keep coming up because... Only, only thing on that, I don't think the brothel thing's fair because it's too was... easy to pull up someone's past. And we don't know that Fravor Graves... Grush, as we already saw with Grush, and look, everyone slammed, uh, quite rightly, people for bringing up Grush's personal history in a way that was trying to discredit him. It's a different scenario, but we're just bringing up Bob Lazar's personal history to discredit him. So I think what? you need to separate the two. The 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 next thing I was going to say is literally that by having those things in the conversation, it discredits the story, right? So we don't really want to give people those things that are really easy to glom onto to just discredit the the hearing. We we need people with that kind of, you know, the focus story. A soldier with PTSD is very different from a guy being charged for running a brothel and installing cameras and things like that. But we don't we don't need that in the conversation. You know, we don't need Bob Lazar to prove that this is a real thing because it's a real thing outside of Bob Lazar. So I think a little more focus, a little less wishy-washy testimonies and you know a little less entertaining testimonies we need the truth and we need something that can create a headline that is equal and opposite to what sean kirkpatrick's op-ed headline was which was you know that the we hear from the the ufo hunter the government's ufo hunter and he found nothing you know that's the headline imagine if we could have something opposite to that the government's ufo hunter found some truth like that that you know, my mum wouldn't read the article, but she'd certainly send me a screenshot of the headline and go, whoa, you know, and given that people are just busy, that's the kind of thing that is going to kind of chip away slowly but surely at the kind of notion that there's nothing to see here. Nathan, I am going to come to you, but I need to follow up on Dan. And this has just came to me and we should have discussed this before. If you didn't know Bob Lazar ran a brothel, how would that change your opinion on what he said, what he done? Well, so I, I, Bob Lazar is always the the answer for me when someone says whose story we're completely convinced by that has changed over time. And 
all the brothel stuff and you know the kind of the less than stellar stuff is what kind of chipped away at bob's story for me over time it is a factor and so there are two points in my life there's one point where all i knew is the story that bob told and the story that george Knapp presented and i was in 100 percent. and then the more information i got and the more kind of stuff like that i found out the more i was like eh, this isn't the kind of stuff that i want to be talking about in relation to to ufos you know okay but that could happen to anyone that's involved in this topic and and i'm not saying it's right or wrong and it's it's pretty normal to but if that if stuff came out about if john q whistleblower comes out next month with the most incredible and i hope that's not his name uh, with the most incredible (laughs) story of where he worked what he done and we're all bought into it the way we are with grush right and over the course of five to ten years that slowly chipped away at with accusations of x y and z does it change what he done it will for a lot of folks because it severs it but it's that whole separating the artist from the art in a way which is a a wavy line i've got wrestling analogies yeah. it'll be really easy like, there but i i completely understand where you're coming from not all those things are equal i think you know grush ptsd depending on the per- no 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 like depending that. on the person that's that's subjective on the claim or the person hearing but some people would see otherwise yeah i mean but we're, we're talking about someone that was charged with crimes versus someone that went to a mental health seek mental health help they're very different things i know what you're getting at um, that anyone can be discredited over the course of X, Y, Z time period. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm confident that if you were called to be on the stand, no one's going to find out you ran a brothel in your past. Yet. Yes. <laughs> Still waiting on the license coming through. Um, but yeah, interesting point, though, but it does show you that, or oh, just yeah. because it's been so long with Lazar. Um, yeah, so, but I get it. Um, you know what I am with, I'm not a million miles away from you with the Lazar story either, Dan, on that one sure. either. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and Nathan, sorry you've sat there for so long. Uh, That's fine. Where are you, public, and I'm going to stay with you for the next part as well, but yeah, public hearings, after what's just been discussed, where are you at? And I'm curious, the same thing on the Lazar story, I'd love your take on that. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I would say, because a lot of this topic has been buried in black projects over decades, uh, the nature of those programs is de- they're designed to make it difficult to to understand them, to find them, to even if you were to get someone who said that they worked for one and you looked at their their employee form in the U.S., it's you know their their W two whatever it is that shows you know they're getting checks from this organization. They're designed to be uh, to to obfuscate or to make it opaque for us to not not really see what is they're really working on. And so, yes, we might get more whistleblowers come forward that say, you know, I worked on this program. I did. I, there is a craft in a hangar somewhere, whatever it may be. But publicly, those are going to amount to really a much of the same kind of bombastic claims that we've been hearing over the many decades. Because, And I, why do I say that? Because that has already happened. We've had people who have come forward over the, over the decades to say much of that same thing. And there's just enough strangeness in in their background or whatever it is to discredit what they're saying. And I'm saying some of that might be true that they may not be trustworthy witnesses, but some of it is almost by design. That's the nature of how these programs are, are are constructed to make it very difficult to get to the the truth. And, uh, you know, as we pointed out already that they're highly compartmentalized as well. So people might only be working on certain 
tiny pieces of the larger puzzle and may not have an understanding of, of the whole thing. So it may look like exotic technology to them. They may have be, even been told it's exotic technology, but it actually may not be exotic at all. Maybe it was it came from a, a U.S. top secret laboratory from somewhere else. And part of that is to keep that individual uh, in the dark from where you know the origin of this material happens to be. I say all of that because this is an incredibly, incredibly complex uh, issue. And hearings, while I think they're they're powerful, certainly from a, a public uh, facing perspective, from a from a soundbite perspective, they they do move the needle. But if you if you just look back to what we already saw with David Grush in the hearing that, that he was in, there's that kind of walking up to the line, and then it's saying, "Well, I can't tell you more in this particular setting." So from a public facing standpoint. I don't expect that to change at all. I think that the, the government has a responsibility to have these kinds of uh, higher security clearance hearings to, and, and, and have those with the right people. And those right people may not be the Congress people or the UAP con- uh, caucus Congress people who have already been in the public eye. They may be members of the Gang of Eight. For all we know, members of the Gang of Eight have already had hearings like this. Uh, it's a highly secretive, highly controlled you know, process, and I just don't think that that's really going to change. What we could see happen is whistleblowers who are uh, kind of going to pull what maybe would be considered an Edward Snowden. You know, they may come forward with uh, a dramatic release of information that would violate their uh, security oath and put them in le- legal jeopardy with the United States government. We could see that happen. Uh, you know, if that happens, then we also have to ask ourselves, how legitimate is that? How, how legitimate will that claim be taken? You know, mm-hmm. if no one else is willing to corroborate what that individual is bringing forward and the government probably won't corroborate it publicly because of obvious reasons, then it, we're really kind of in the same boat. All, all of this to say, this is just a really tricky business to, to get to the, the truth here because it's, it's a, it's an onion with so many layers, um, I do hope we're going to hear from more from David Grush. I do think that um, there probably is a little bit of ammo let left in the, you know, in the mag- magazine here from him. Um, and he's already kind of hinted to a certain degree that he's seeking additional officer uh, permission mm-hmm. to say further things that, that that he knows. But in my mind, what would really move the needle, I suppose, if we're going to talk about hearings, would just be. Uh, you know, individual after individual who are who are in the the U.S. infrastructure right now. So not retired military, not retired private contractors. They literally work for these organizations right now. And if at the very minimum they say, "We are not alone. We have something in our possession. We don't know what it is, or we're working on it." And that's as far as I can say in a public setting. If you have enough of those individuals who who have skin in the game, they're a part of these official organizations. And I think that moves the needle further than where we are now. One individual who I would love to hear from, uh, this is a kind of a deep cut, but would be General McCasland. I mean, you know, he's in emails, the Podesta Elite Leak emails, you know, trying to organize these meetings. And Tom DeLong has talked about the general. So if someone of his caliber were to step forward and corroborate not only his interest, but the veracity of these claims, that is another sort of feather in the cap here to the, to the, to the truth of the UAP topic. So uh, that's stuff I would hope to see this year, but I, I, again, I'm tempering my expectations because this is such a highly controversial and the security and the, the ramifications of this, of this disclosure are so extreme 
that the government has a responsibility to tightly control as much of it as possible. And I think the patriots, the people who worked on this, and they have a high sense of patriotism, they don't, they don't hire people who don't have that sense of patriotism. They aren't going to disclose something either because, because they would feel it could be very dangerous for the, the security of the United States. I'll add my two cents to that. So one, I think we need, similar to what a lot of you have said, at least two individuals to corroborate stories to say they work not not only on some kind of craft or material because I think that will still leave a lot of ambiguity as to what it might be but they have to come out and say they've seen or worked with the non-human biologics i.e. alien bodies or body parts for it to really catch the public's attention and go wait a minute because if you say we have worked on materials of unknown origin it could still be a super secret Chinese drone you know that, that could be you've got to say that we don't know but to say you've worked or seen something and then for someone else like you say Emma Cosland or whoever to come forward and say yep I handled X Y and Z I signed the paperwork we moved it to this location that would be that would be big and do you know what I do feel sorry for is any of the folks coming forward it's sort of a catch 22 now I understand folks who work in governmental positions at that level will no doubt make a decent salary when they leave those positions to go to go public, they are almost definitely not working there anymore and getting that salary. So they come out and they write a book or they do some conferences, they do some speaking engagements to make some money and they're, they're shot down for that because they're grifting, they're making money out of this subject. So what we need are whistleblowers who worked at high level to come out public and be poor. Um, that's essentially what a lot of folks seem to want and it's it's not going to happen but you also thanks Dan uh, you also need in, in, a, in a more serious way um, someone to be single with no attachments no family and and really no friends I start to genuinely think about again I always go back to Independence Day you know you've got the, the doctor who lives underground Area 51 working on the, the, the craft and he's like yeah we've not been outside for like 25 years it's almost something like that you're going to need where people are like, I don't really have a life outside of what I do because then no one can get at anyone. It's literally just you. But yeah, I don't know. That comes with a whole lot of things as well. Um, honest, I I to, uh, before you change yeah, the subject, yeah. I wanted to respond to your Lazar question um, because I echo the the sentiments of, of Graham and Dan. It is a, a really complicated uh, story there, but I think speaks to what I was talking about and that is that the people who worked on these programs and the programs themselves are constructed in such a way that there's there's going to be some component of it that 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 chips away at its own credibility. And uh, Lazar's history, his education history, some of the claims that he's made, Element One Fifteen, uh, this, that, and the other, they they are just enough to cast some shade and doubt on on the story that he is telling, which to me, and I think those of us here can say is it doesn't mean we can throw the entire story out entirely. You know, we just can't get rid of the, the whole thing. The truth may be somewhere in the middle and that's going to be true for perhaps a lot of these whistleblowers that they just don't know the whole picture. It's like if someone who worked on the atom bomb, you know, said I worked on this, you know, tiny piece of it, this, this trigger device. And that's all I worked on. It was a trigger device. And, and I don't know what it actually does. I mean, they might think that it was a trigger device for, you know, some sort of sophisticated TNT explosion or something like that. But it, it, you can see that it just it becomes very complicated to get to the heart of 
what was really being worked on, what is really behind the scenes, who has that high level view of the entire project. And, you know, I don't know who those individuals are. I would assume there are a small number of them, but it would be those people, quite frankly, who would be able to step forward and say, you know, I orchestrate, I'm, I'm at the top of the food chain and there is something here. And Bob Lazar did work at this facility and he did see something, but not what he thought it was, et cetera. That, that kind of has shades of McCaslin there. You know, pe- people, if people listening don't know who Neil McCaslin is, everything that Tom DeLong does with To The Stars, with Secret Machines, everything comes from General Neil McCaslin and Tom's contact with him was confirmed through the WikiLeaks leaks that happened, uh, you know, a few years back. And supposedly Tom sat in a diner with Neil McCaslin and Neil leaned in and said, it was the Cold War and we found a life form. That gives me overview vibes, like the guy who kind of sees what's going on and, and is there um, was an early advisor. So yeah, would, would love to see him and totally agree with him. And do you know where they had that conversation? Denny's. Right next door to Bob Lazar's brothel. Um, <laughs> no, uh, that, that's liable, probably. So yeah, that never happened. Um, but yeah, no, that that's it. That he's a he's a figure that has probably been frustratingly quiet and in the background. But as you would probably expect of someone at that level, and seems to be a guy like you've all said that if he came forward, that's huge. That's a wow. Like this guy's coming out and talking. Um, I imagine though he's probably someone who's there and pushing others forward maybe like a grush to go go and do this and we've got your back kind of thing so um who knows um sticking with nathan and again i'm trying to have these things transition a little bit as they're they're kind of bleeding into each other i have put a little bit of thought into this folks it might not come across um next heading is what language could become mainstream so in the last few years uh, we've been teased with crash retrieval articles in the new york times that never quite emerged Uh, biologics became popular from the david grush hearing what do you think this time round nathan we're going to stick with you mate um a few things have came up but what can a what can a language might come into the mainstream again or for the first time well, uh, we're already starting to see some contenders. I'm not sure if I have the answer, but I will tell you there are some leading contenders for that. And I think one would be this interdimensional or extra-dimensional uh, concept that we're hearing thrown around by some members of the UAP caucus, uh, Representative Luna and I think Representative Burleson have both used one of those kinds of phrases to describe what we might be seeing here. But it really is a bit of a placeholder. It's sort of saying... You know, we just don't really know what it is at all. It's just not extraterrestrial. Uh, interdimensional, extradimensional can really be anything. Uh, so it's possible that that becomes more part of the mainstream parlance. Uh, non-human intelligence certainly tried to make its way into the legislation and unfortunately didn't, but it's very possible that could be more widely used. It's certainly widely used in our own community when discussing what these others might be. But will we see that uh, sort of circulate in the in the population at large it's it's certainly possible uh it's it's fascinating for me just to observe the evolution of theories in the public mind we've we're certainly past the days of it just strictly being an extraterrestrial hypothesis conversation it's getting a lot more complicated academics from various disciplines are weeding uh, wading into this conversation and they are uh, introducing their own theories that just add to the complexity of what it is that we're seeing. I 
I don't know. I, I think the, the the real sort of wild card here that would be interesting would be uh, abductions. I don't know if we're anywhere close to that. I don't think we are. Uh, but I would think at some point down the road we will be. Uh, and when that is part of the parlance, then you know we have fully arrived in, in a place where it is commonly accepted that these things have been here and have been here for a long time. I think we're a million miles from abductions, but I do agree if we do get that full actual public grasp where journalists are all going, shit, wait a minute, this is the story now. This is it blown open worldwide. UFOs are real. Aliens exist. Tom was right. There you go, Dan. Um, one of the very first things I think any serious or decent journalist will ask, even the hack journalists will be, okay, what about abductions? Are these happening? I, th- I think that'll be one of the first things. But in terms of a public conversation, and I know we had some back and forward on this recently online, which was which was cool because it was all good mannered and good natured. Um, the conversations are a million miles off. Um, I said I think last time I spoke to the four people in my in my office um, and the job I do day to day, Monday Friday, about UFOs, and most of them were like, you know, do you actually think UFOs exist? That's where they were. One of them was quite open to it, but almost all of them when it came to the ideas of like, alien abductions or those types of experiences where either laughing or just, nah, it's, it's too much. That is all for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. Apple and Spotify do make a huge difference to the algorithm. If you're checking the show on YouTube, please don't forget to like and leave a comment on here as well. Any sharing you do is very much appreciated on any social media platform. And finally, you can listen to shows ad-free and sponsor-free in their glorious full versions by subscribing for less than the price of a coffee on Apple, Spotify, just search That UFO Podcast Premium YouTube, you can sign up and be a member or you can do that through patreon.com. Thank you very much for listening folks It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck The little fucker hovered